0: in terms of just like the planet i'm very excited to be working on um one of the, a small part that might turn out to be part of the solution um but who knows where we're heading i think we need a lot more really bright people working on these type of problems yeah uh, very excited to see see so many uh, like new opportunities and new new problems being solved
1: hi good afternoon everybody and welcome back to series four of the climate pioneers show building a better future the us edition where we're going to be featuring the stories of climate tech innovators on the east coast of the us throughout the course of this series i'm going to be learning all about their journeys and the solutions that they're developing to fight the climate crisis we're going to dig into what inspired them to take action in the first place and the challenges that they faced along the way but most importantly we're going to be getting their tips and advice on the best communities to join, the best books to read, the best podcasts to listen to, and the best productivity hacks to help you manage the founder work-life balance. So let's get stuck in. This week, I am delighted to be joined by Emile Cox, CEO of GenVision. Founded in 2022, GenVision's technology analyzes satellite images of nature with AI to measure carbon removal more accurately. And Emil certainly hasn't had the most linear or obvious path into being a climate tech founder. He's an award-winning cellist who's performed across the world with an academic background in civil engineering and architecture. Again, winning awards, but this time for 3D modeling nature and sustainable engineering. And with a track record like that, I'm very excited to learn more about his journey and the plans that I'm sure he has in store for GenVision. So thank you so much for joining me.
0: Thanks so much, Sherry. Really happy to be here
1: my pleasure um so we always kick off by by learning more about your business so i've given a little bit of a summary there a very brief one of of what genvision does but can you talk me through in your own words what is the problem that you're solving and and how are you solving it
0: yeah we're aiming to solve one of the bigger challenges in the climate th- climate change uh big problem right now which funnily enough is measuring trees there's just like a ton of money flowing towards removing as much carbon from the air as possible and well a lot of that has to come from just planting a bunch more trees Mm -hmm. and selling carbon credits and there's like a whole set of systems that are involved in it but in the entire system there's like one really tiny part which we still rely on many labor which is measuring trees measuring how much carbon is actually being removed And so literally currently that happens by measuring trees with tape measures in forests. Super expensive. (laughs) It takes a lot of time. It's not very transparent and it certainly cannot scale with this market that is developing so rapidly. So at Vision, we're developing technology to do just that. We do uh, very accurate measurements scientifically uh, of how much carbon is being removed in nature using satellite imagery. And we've developed our own technology to make sure that we can scale that really accurately, reliably, but also much faster and much more affordably than any current solution.
1: Amazing. And that's so important, right? Because I think one of the biggest challenges that the carbon removal space has had this year is around the, I suppose, the verification of are these trees being planted? And if they are, how efficiently are they being planted? How much are they growing? And therefore, how much carbon are they really capturing?
0: Exactly. Yeah. So there's there is so much issue with trust in this space, uh, which is really a pity because we know that if you want to have a chance To fight climate change whatsoever, all scientists agree that we need to remove as much carbon from the air as possible. And at the same time, there seems to be a little bit of a pushback against all these massive projects that want to do this, uh, that want to remove carbon. And we feel that we're uniquely um, positioned with our company and the solution that we're bringing to bring trust back into that market and to scale that around the globe as fast as possible.
1: Amazing. I love that. And so where did your passion for climate and sustainability come from? Is it something you've always been passionate about since childhood, or is it something that's kind of coming as you've got older?
0: It's definitely something that I've been very passionate about for a while now. Actually, have been carbon neutral myself for about five years now, which means that I measure every year how much carbon I'm emitting. So I try to like track every flight that I take, try to give an estimate of of how much meat I'm eating, and then come up with a number every year. And then I'm going to support projects through the system of carbon credits, which means that again, remove just as much carbon from the air as I'm emitting into the air. And it's just one way for me uh, that I'm trying to do some good in the world of climate change. Um, and that's been something I've, I've been working on for, for a while for myself personally. Uh, but then really through that experience, learn about like one of these like really big bottlenecks uh, that's that's really hindering a lot of, of, of developments um, of cool technologies and cool new things that, that come through and that it makes a lot of sense to actually just double down on this. Um, so that's, that's kind of like how I entered this space.
1: Amazing. So it was sort of something you were doing personally and interested in personally, and then through that thought, right, I'm going to make, make this my work. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. Yeah. And and talk me through that that pathway that I sort of alluded to there at the beginning, that journey from kind of musician to engineering and architecture to tech entrepreneur. How did how did you kind of weave that path?
0: <laughs> so when I was six years old, um, it was a moment when I decided I want to be an architect. It right. was really funny because I'm not an architect right now. Uh, but certainly at some point in my life, I'll get to back to it. And uh, it's, it's a really big passion of mine. I love thinking about space, how people come together, uh, about the sustainability part of it, but also where sort of like arts meets engineering. I think it's still super fascinating. Um, and then when I like got close to becoming 18 and, and going to study civil engineering and architecture, which had always been my dream, I actually got the opportunity to study cello at the conservatory in Brussels. With really good cellists and uh, had the opportunity to combine both studies. Uh, So super interesting combination, architecture and music. There's a lot of of parallels. They're kind of like obvious like rhythm or structure. Then also like underlying sort of like the methodology or like the way we think about how, how does music move us so emotionally and how can we create similar spaces in architecture? Something that's always fascinated me a lot. And it was really interesting to be able to combine both both, both studies. I actually, ended up like studying those in like two different locations in Belgium for my undergrad, which was not very convenient. I had to take a lot of trains, <laughs> so that's why I eventually ended up in, in UC Berkeley, uh, where I was able to do my master's in architecture, and which was right next to the music building. I was able to set up some research between both faculties. It was super interesting uh, topic, but yeah, it's like that is kind of like the background uh, behind like something what i'm doing right now which is not related to music not related to architecture at all but um i still draw a lot from it
1: yeah and i i like those um those comparisons you made between architecture and and music and that kind of the rhythm and and you know I think there's things to do with harmony there and yeah i think that more similar perhaps than from the outside you might expect they would be and and how did you then bridge that gap into Tech entrepreneur, where did the inspiration come from to actually start your own business? And I, I know it's sort of you said there it had partly come from your own personal analysis of your own carbon footprint and how to be carbon neutral. But where where did the aha moment come from where you had the idea for Gen Vision and thought I'm going to do this?
0: Yeah, well, while I was at Berkeley, I was doing a lot of research around three uh, D modeling of nature. Uh, I always find it fascinating when designing architecture, to design a lot with nature, obviously because of like the passion for for the environment. And and I was also always very frustrated by how hard it is as an architect to actually design something with nature. Because walls are very straight and like buildings, like you can design them in 3D, no problem. But when it comes to an oak tree or a specific oak tree, or trying to think about like, how does this ivy flow around this building? It's something that's much harder to draw in 3D. But since all architects are working in 3D software, it means that there's like, much harder to actually design green cities so that's the sort of like research that i was doing at uc berkeley was around like how can we create um that experience like much better make 3d models of nature use ai in that process um, to make it much more natural and much less complex so initially it was really out of the the framework of of how can we make designing greener cities much easier but then eventually that became um, like only like a really small part of, of what we were doing. It turned out that using that technology of that 3D modeling of nature um, that I continued to work on after I graduated was actually like going to be the key to, to solving a really, really big problem in the climate space. So we kind of like stumbled into it and I'm so glad we did and that I took some time to not dive directly into to furthering my, my architecture studies. Uh, just because I feel like with, as like a climate entrepreneur, there's the opportunity to just make so much more impact than design mm-hmm. a little bit more of a sustainable home for the 1% richest people. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so where did that come? Where did you put the one and one together to make two with, okay, this is the 3D modeling work that I've done over here and here's a potential, you know, here's a problem space and here's how I can marry the two together.
0: It's actually quite a funny story where... Like initially, it was like very focused on making these 3D models just for architects. And I thought this is the one solution that everybody needs and they're going to like, I just need to develop this technology and then everybody's going to pay me for these 3D models of trees. And turns out like nobody's interested in this. Nobody has money for it. Nobody has time for it. Um, And actually, there are not that many architects and certainly not that many architects that specifically need these type of 3D models of trees. At the same time, there was like somebody who had heard of our project who was working on, uh, autonomous lawnmowers also not your average niche but very interesting space autonomous are these like little robots uh, with a camera actually that learns to lo- m- m- do lawnmowing by itself by just like identifying in the in the garden like what's happening
1: oh well and i guess they have, hoover's. With... they have hoovers that do that in the house right so i guess that's a exactly. the next phase yes.
0: But then, like, then it's like a slightly more advanced with cameras to just identify not only where's the grass, but also like where are people, where are dogs, where's trees. And so he was like, what if, like, currently we're spending so much money and so much time collecting all of the data, like all these like images for the robot to learn what a person is and what a tree is. And it costs a lot of money on like labeling all of those images and collecting them. But if you create like with the 3D models, I was able to create with that little like startup that I started, he was like, you're actually solving a really big problem for us. And it's was like, oh yeah, but cool, but I'm actually working for architects. So like not really taking note of it. And it wasn't until like much later and like a lot of calls that he like kept coming back uh, to us um, that I was like starting to realize like, hey, actually, it might make sense to start thinking about what are the other applications of, of what we're able to do here. And then really rapidly it turned out it solves that data problem is not only useful for lawnmowers, it's just a general AI problem that a lot of companies need a lot of good data. And if you have good data that you can work with, you can solve some big problems.
1: Yeah, great. And and at what point did you become aware of the, the trust and verification problem in the carbon removal space and, and how this could apply to that?
0: So funnily enough, like through the the project that I've been supporting, like since I, I've been 18, uh, like buying those carbon credits to, to offset my own own emissions. I've actually been aware of this space uh, for a while. And um, it's, it's kind of funny how I was like, always like kind of mad about the fact that like, why can't you just like plant a bunch of trees? Like I did the math in my head. Like if I just buy some land in Ukraine and then plant some trees, like it should be cheaper than what I'm actually paying right now. Like where is this money going? And why is this not the most cost-effective way yet to support climate change? Um, or to support the fight against climate change uh, rather. And then like became aware of like, there is this obviously this whole measurement process and verification process, which is super important is we, we wanna be sure that we're actually doing something good and not just greenwashing, not just throwing away our money. Um, so it's, it's, it's a problem I've been aware of for uh, for a while um, but didn't realize that like the key to, to solving it might actually been something I've been working on for a while already
1: amazing and at what point did you kind of go all in with this so were you doing this alongside your studies or did you start developing it after you would graduated what was the timeline like there and at what point did you go all in and incorporate this as a business and, and start going for it
0: i was very fortunate to graduate with a little bit more money than i i started out with uh, through a bunch of support networks um like scholarships and um which is just like a very like large privilege uh, that i can enjoy um That meant that I had, like, about six months of time left after I graduated, that I could travel around a little bit um, just with my laptop and work on some projects, which if anybody, like, listening, like, has the opportunity, I would recommend so much. Um, And that, for me, was just, like, something I want to just work on some ideas, not sure if it's going to work out, not sure what it's going to lead to, but it sounds interesting, and who knows, maybe one day uh, it's going to be something. In any case, I'm learning a lot from it. And so for me, that was kind of like the initial idea. And then while doing it, it became more and more of a serious thing, more and more, more realized that like, Hey, we might actually be onto something here. Uh, that's at that point that I ran out of my six months of money and just like moved back into my parents' home in Belgium, uh, had no money to spend anymore on food, on traveling, we just like stayed with them, ate their food. And so that was kind of like the start of the whole process. So again, it's a very privileged role to start from, um, but uh, obviously like we're a little bit better off now. Uh, I, I guess it's the start of, of a lot of startup stories. It's, it's really, it starts with but not a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I like that you had the time and space to, to explore the idea and that view of like, I've got six months, I'll play with the idea, I'll see where it goes. And then it sounds like by the time the money ran out, you knew you were onto something and you knew right. this was worth pursuing and it was worth moving back home and and taking the cut financially to to focus on it
0: exactly yes yeah.
1: yeah 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 perfect and so you've been going 18 months now is it
0: yeah something like that
1: yeah yeah 18 months and so what has that first 18 months looked like talk me through from moving back in with your parents and I think we're on to something here to where you are now
0: it's at that point, we were like, hey, there is something here. And and that's like when we had the call with the lawnmower guy and some like other companies that like were like, oh, maybe this might be interesting for us. Um, that's at the point where um, we were in touch with an accelerator in New York called uh, ERA, Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator. And uh, we applied to them. We got accepted for their summer program. that uh, was in 22, so last year. And uh, that meant that Uh, All of a sudden we had $100,000 of investment that we could work with. We had this four month program. And also that meant that my co-founder, a good friend of mine that I know like since forever, uh, was able to join me full time as well and move to New York. So we had four months in New York, rented this tiny little apartment, like all the way up in Harlem. And we were like still paying way too much money. We like had like two little mattresses in the corner it's just a real testament to, to our friendship. Uh, it actually worked <laughs> out. But that support network there through ERA, uh, that accelerator, we learned how to pitch, how to put together a deck, how to approach new customers. we got, were put in touch with a ton of investors. And at the end of the program, there was this demo day where we got to pitch to a ton of investors. And we're like, hey, this is the story of, of what we're building. Are you interested in coming along? And that eventually led to raising pre-seed rounds with which we were able to hire some really amazing and talented people. And then we can develop our first technology in the real world, test it out and release it to our first customers. So it's it's really all these like tiny, tiny little steps that come together. Um, and But I, I really trace like uh, the biggest step back to, to that initial um, investment from the accelerator and all the help that we got there.
1: That's amazing. And you're right, it is. It's those tiny little incremental steps, isn't it? Over that first year, which each one doesn't feel particularly significant. But you get to the end of a year and look back and think, oh, my goodness, look how far Mm -hmm. we've (laughs) come." Yeah. Okay. amazing. And so what did how did when did you close the pre-seed? And then how did you find that process of being a first time founder and building that team out for the first time?
0: yes so we we closed the the pre-seed rounds with 1.2 million dollars earlier this year so in like the, the first half of 2023 and the we were able to rely on, on um like all the the learnings from that accelerator uh, about like what are the type of questions that you need to be prepared for what are the types of documents that you need to have ready and this like not to be underestimated our first like literally like first investment that we're supposed to get like I get this phone call from a guy who's like the CEO of a very big company but like somehow like found his way to us uh, also a Belgian guy in New York and it's like let's have coffee I want to hear about what you're doing turns out he went to the same high school as me oh wow super crazy coincidence and he's like after half an hour over coffee he's like I'm super interested I want to invest in you and like Okay, cool, but I don't know what that means. No, well. Scramble home, like call people, and they're like, you have to have lawyers. They have to like prepare these documents. We're like, lawyers? Like, I don't know, that's something like in the movie. So we have to like (laughs) fight lawyers, like set all the documents up. And by the time that everything was set up, he was like, yeah, I don't know anymore. Like I'm not super liquid at this moment. Like I was very excited, but maybe for another time. But then eventually that led to the next uh, investors where we had our documents ready. There's like these tiny little things that you don't expect in advance. Or if you're really prepared if you're to ride people along the, the, the road, especially in the beginning, it really helps out.
1: And that's, I think, part of the fun of the founder journey, right? Especially in those really early days is just saying yes to things or things being thrust at you. And you think, I don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll figure out a way. We'll just say yes and we'll get there, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: put those things in place. And then, like you said, it didn't end up working out that time, but it helped you to get those ducks in a row so that when it did happen, you were good to go. Yeah, amazing. That's good. And, um, and what about the process of, of hiring that team and bringing those people in for, for a first-time founder? How was that?
0: Yeah, the, the for me, like, what we ended up doing is just hiring a bunch of friends. And I, I'm not sure if this is the right thing to do. Like, I really don't know. Like, this do not consider that as a Depends
1: who your friends are, I guess. <laughs> yeah.
0: But for me, it was kind of a no-brainer because I knew a bunch of people who are super talented at what they're doing, like literally a top notch engineers in computer science, in bioengineering, like knowing like things about like literally like experts on trees and like, they're amazing people. I know them, like I've been out with them. I've been on vacation with them. I know how they think. And I, they're a friend of mine for a reason. And if I have a chance to work with anybody, like I would love to work with them. And so that's, those are the first like three, four people that we hired are literally just those people and that allowed us to move really quickly and, and develop really quickly to sort of like set of proof points that we needed for this first couple of, of investments. And um, then like eventually, like two days ago, like a new person has started and that's sort of like the end point of a long search for LinkedIn. And and like, ah, it's like a whole HR thing. When like the point, the moment you step outside of that friend boundary, like all of a sudden it takes so much more time, so much more money. And that's something I really like appreciate right now do ask me again in two years from now, if it was a good decision. I'm not sure, but right now I, I really do think that uh, it's one of the best decisions I've made so far.
1: Yeah, oh good, good. Um, and I think that there's definitely value to, to hiring people that you know and are trusted if they've got the right expertise. And like you said, it helps you move further faster because you don't have to, Get to know each other and how each other work and think a lot of that groundwork is done has been created through that friendship that you had
0: yeah um, exactly and uh, yeah. what i would like to add to that as well is is i think as a startup you were like the first couple of people you have to do everything like mm-hmm. from talking to investors to lawyers to talking to customers to developing a front-end website to back-end and the machine learning and the product and the trees and the. there's so many things that you have to do and there was no no possible way that you one can already do everything but then two can find the people that know how to like implement all of those things like as an expert because you just have to 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 few people and then three also you don't know where you're going as a startup because everything might change like a week from now and there's like new opportunity or like a a change in, in the market or whatever there's like especially in the beginning everything changes so fast so being able to hire somebody that you don't only like trust for their domain expertise but also know i can just throw whatever the fuck comes our way toward them and they'll be able to handle it in an expert way that is just so so interesting and so so helpful in the beginning
1: so valuable absolutely and and what of those biggest challenges do you think that you've faced really in the last 18 months been
0: it's a good question i think for for us specifically as a company within this climate tech space and specifically around carbon credits it's kind of like an interesting space where there's also been like a little bit of a controversy around carbon credits around greenwashing around reporting more carbon that so to speak has been removed than actually was being removed and it has big consequences um so it's 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 this interesting space where like right now some people are kind of like iffy around they're like uncertain about like what's going on with it. But at the same time, we know that in the next five, the next 10, 15 years, like this is one of the biggest challenges that we have is like finding enough ways to remove as much carbon as possible. So there's this, this huge, like usually interesting opportunity between those two um, that we're trying to connect. And that means that sometimes you find people that are really for looking and really excited to come along for the ride. But also it means that sometimes it's a little bit harder to, to sell those first products, especially if they don't recognize your brand yet, uh, if you haven't been able to build out that level of trust. So that's really for us, like what we're focusing on is, is really as a as a company, building out that level of trust where people can rely on these type of measurements, where they know that if they work with GenVision, it's accurate, it's um and it's gonna be there for the for the long term.
1: Amazing. And um, so where are you at today? What's a kind of snapshot of the current state of the business, you know? clients, pilots, where the product's at, the head hack, head camp. like where are you at today?
0: Yeah, very exciting. Like one of our goals at the pre round is to actually build this thing out, which was a fun thing that like lived in our heads, actually build it out, test it out in the real world, because it's a new technology that we're implementing. Uh, we're relying on all of those 3D models of trees uh, to be able to train these, these machine learning uh, models, which is a completely new approach. And like, we didn't know, like we assumed it would be a good idea. Uh, but we are able to test it out, release a white paper a, paper a couple of weeks ago where it was tested on a, an entire forest, a ton of different tree species, uh, where every individual tree was measured by hands. And it uh, turned out our technology is 95% accurate uh, in terms of carbon removal, which is just like really uh, like unseen in this space. or so like very, very exciting in any case. Yeah, and absolutely. so with that, we've seen a bunch of... of, of um, Companies and uh, they're interested in like we're we're currently working on the implementation of the first uh, four or five carbon credit projects, uh, which in itself is super exciting. Then also working together with governments to 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 roll this out on a larger scale. So super cool things coming up.
1: That's very very exciting. And how have you found this year from a kind of wider market and economy perspective? Because I know it's been really challenging for a lot of early stage startups. I mean, you've you've obviously managed to overcome that and you know closed your pre-seed round. And how, how have kind of regulatory changes, the wider market, how, how's that impacted you for better or for worse?
0: I've, I've seen it with a, a lot of friends of mine in the, in the startup space. It's it's definitely not an easy environment. Mm-hmm. And, and raising money at this point where investors are a little bit more wary or your standards are, are much higher, um, it's just like it's a thing. Yeah. The, we're very lucky, I think, in the sense that one, we're early stage. Like everything up until Series A, uh, so far as I've heard, is 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 really doing quite all right. But then, mm-hmm. most uh, specifically, uh, we're in the intersection this like special Venn diagram of of uh, AI and sustainability, mm-hmm. which is just like a very niche part of the market that's actually doing pretty well. There's been a lot of of VC funds that have been raised that need to be deployed. And so we're seeing a lot of appetite for for an upcoming seed rounds, uh, although we're not even starting with it yet. So it's it's yeah, a very favorable position on our side. But definitely it's it's a it's a rough market out there for for most people.
1: Yeah, 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 you're, you're right. You're right at that kind of nexus of those two like sexy markets, right? That AI piece and then the climate change, but not just climate change, carbon removal and then the verification right. and measurement. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it's a hot market on on the one end, but then it's like a different thing to me than it's for example like crypto or like mm. Web three or like other like specific like crazes. Because I don't know, uh, like although it might be overhyped to to some extent, we do know that like AI is here to like change a lot of things. It's making so many things much more efficient. And then secondly, we know climate. There's just like so much money that needs to be spent on it. So with those two things we have like really really strong backwinds like whatever the hype cycle might be um, and we're, we're pretty good there
1: yeah yeah and how hopeful do you feel for the future of the climate sector next year
0: <laughs> next year i was i was going to answer the question in terms of how hopeful am i for the future maybe for the earth like <laughs> yeah. i'm pretty hopeful we'll we'll turn around like i'm like when i see all these developments i, I get really excited about where we're heading yeah. Um, in terms of where we will be next year, I don't know. Like, it, it really, like, in terms of just, like, the planet, I'm very excited to be working on um, one of a small part that might turn out to be part of the solution. Um, but who knows where we're heading? I think we need a lot more really bright people working on these type of problems. Yes. Uh, very excited to see see so many, uh, like, new opportunities and new, new problems being solved. Uh, so super excited to see where we'll be a year from now.
1: Exciting. And in your world specifically, in GenVision's world, what are you most excited about? So you've you've had this kind of this initial big project that really shows that, you know, your your platform is working to 95% accuracy, yeah. which is amazing. Um, but but what does the rest of what does 2024 hold for you?
0: Well it's pretty amazing, and this is like really hot of the press, is that Europe, the European Union launched their own carbon removal certification framework. What that means is they launched their own regulation around Carbon credits and bringing trust to the market, but by using new technologies, and this is something this sort of like other like has been gatekept like by these third parties like Verra or Gold Standard, which are really truly amazing organizations, but have generally been quite slow in um, developing new technologies. So having seen this this new regulation come up from the European Union makes me super excited because it means that. For one, on the policy side, they're actually happening a lot. I mean, specifically in Europe, then. Uh, but then also for us, it means that we can implement these things much faster. So that's for us, like where we're seeing twenty twenty four become really important for Joint Vision and for the covering credit removal space um, in general. Is is just Europe is is going to be a big big player in this in this in this space.
1: Very exciting. So we always round out these episodes with three quick fire questions for your recommendations. Um, so the first one being a community or people-based resource. Um, so which community organization do you feel or you would credit has been the most helpful to you on your journey so far?
0: I already alleged to it, ERA Entrepreneurs Roundtable Accelerator would recommend it 1 million percent. I would do it a thousand times over.
1: Amazing. And it was a four month program, you said?
0: Yes, in New York City
1: in new york amazing perfect thank you so much and the second one being a media-based resource so a book a podcast a ted talk something like that that you feel has been valuable insightful and that you would recommend everybody read listen watch
0: well actually has helped me myself a lot and um, and this was while i was still in school not even thinking about starting and started myself but just out of interest i watched literally every video by a white culminator you have so many like little podcasts that they're doing as well as like Q and A session, with Michael Seibel, like this guy is amazing. Like I've watched every little like video session, video recorded Corona session there is in the world to see. Um, And just like, he just like answers all of those like first time founder questions about funding, about where to start your company, what shape or form it should have, who to hire, all these little things like very much recommended.
1: Amazing, and that's on YouTube, is it? Do Y Combinator have like a YouTube channel that has all that content in it?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's on YouTube.
1: Amazing, that's all, I've never looked at that myself, so I will, thank you so much. And the last one being a productivity tip, what's the best tip for how you manage your workload and ensure that good work-life balance?
0: (laughs) I don't have Instagram, I don't have TikTok, I barely have Facebook. Um, Yeah, most of my communication happens by Gmail. That is my social media. I feel like it it saves a lot of time for me. It also, we're not a B2C company, so I don't need to worry about it at all. I'm terrible at social media. It also frees up so much of my time.
1: Amazing. So just (laughs) disengaging from those social channels if they don't serve your business and they don't serve you personally and thereby saving. I think if I did that, thereby saving many hours a day.
0: (laughs) It has certainly saved me a lot of time for sure.
1: That's super helpful. Thank you so much, Emil. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for sharing that journey and the experiences that you've you've kind of been through in your founder journey so far. Um, and I'm super excited to see what 2024 has to hold for GenVision. And I will be watching and cheering from the sidelines. Um, but thank you. Have a great rest of the day.
0: Sure, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much.
1: No problem. thank you, everybody that's listened to us today. Um, Really appreciate you coming and joining us, whether you're watching us live or whether you're listening to this on Catch Up. We've got plenty more episodes to come at you over the course of the next five or six weeks. Um, So please keep tuned in, subscribe and follow the Climate Pioneers show on Acast or Spotify. And hopefully we will see you next week. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show.